Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. But we've been going through this series, and uh, really it's been a series understanding that God never gives up on His people. Aren't you thankful for that? And God, he's not going to quit on you. God's not going to give up on you. God's not going to say, uh, I'm done with you. You know what? There's times in our life when we certainly step back and say, God, uh, you know, I, I can handle this. I can do that. God doesn't do that to us. He's continually one that seeks after us and pursues us. And the book of Judges just outlines that for us so well. Uh, the book of Judges helps us to understand God's grace and God's mercy and as we come and we find our place today at the end of the book of Judges, chapter number three, we're going to remember, and I want to just kind of get us all on the same page, that the children of Israel, they have now been in the promised land for a number of years. But while they've been there, they've chosen continually to just walk away from their relationship with God. If you'll remember, the entire reason that God had brought them to uh, the land of Israel was so that they could have a place where they could serve him and where they could follow him and where they, here's the, here's the word, where they could find fulfillment in him. Remember this, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is interested in relationship, all right? In the Old Testament, New Testament, God is interested in what? relationship. That's one of the main purposes of the promised land. I want to move you. He remember he had promised it to Abraham and to Moses and to Joshua. Hey, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in a land that you can call your own for the purpose of you glorifying me and showing others how great of a God I am. And you're going to do that through relationship. That's what God had intended. <clears throat> but when God brought them into the land, he had a couple of requirements. Number one, God said, I'm going to bring you to this land. I want you to either drive out all of my enemies, the enemies of God, or destroy all of the enemies of God. It's your land. They've, they've kind of overrun it. So when you go into the land, you need to either destroy them or drive them out. Number two, when you go into the land, teach your children about me and teach your children to teach their children. And we need to perpetuate this thing. We need to keep this going. Well, if you'll recall the children of Israel, when they got into the land, instead of giving God complete obedience in that and recognizing God wanted relationship and fulfillment, instead of seeing God in the big picture they gave God what we called a number of weeks ago when we started the series, they gave him partial obedience. They just obeyed God a little bit. And I love how one man summarized this because once they got into the land and they disobeyed God, God allowed the enemies then to become really the thorn in their side. All through the book of Judges, we're gonna see all of the people, and you do, do the study for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. If you go read Judges chapter number one, it lists out all of the ites, Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Philist the Philistines aren't the ites. Anyway, they're the only ones that don't qualify as ites, but all the ites, the Philist 
the parasites. That's works. Anyway, they're all there. If you go read chapter number one and you follow through the rest of the book, you find the people listed in chapter number one that they didn't destroy. Those are the very people that become the thorns in the flesh, in the side of the people of God. And it causes the people, Judges chapter two, verse number uh, 12 or verse number 14, it says that there rose up a generation that didn't know God and sought after the gods of the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Amalekites and all the ites. Well, why did they do that? Why, did they, why was there a generation that did that? It's because they didn't drive out or destroy the enemies and they didn't teach their children to continue following the Lord. I said a moment ago, I love how one man put it. He said this, he said, the time was intended to be an era of advancement and fulfillment for God's people. By this time, they should have been fully enjoying the promised land, but their inconsistency in obeying God and their imitation of the idolatrous culture around them led to failure. Let me give you a simple thought. This is even part of the message. Here's the truth. This is, the, this is a truth all throughout God's word. We can choose to follow our plan or to submit to God's plan. And when we choose to follow God's plan, God says, I can use that and you will find fulfillment in me. Will there still be challenges? Yes. Yeah, Daniel was in God's plan and yet he got thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in God's plan and yet they got thrown in a fiery furnace. Joseph was in God's plan, yet he got betrayed and sold. Are there gonna be hardships? Yes, there's hardships. But there is always, mark it down, there is always fulfillment in surrendering to God's plan. Because here what we have, when we surrender to God's plan, we find fulfillment with God. When we follow our own plan, we still have struggles. We still have challenges. We're just doing it on our own without God. I don't know about you, but I, I don't wanna go through trials without the Lord. I was talking with Jason this weekend and one of his family members said to him, Jason, you just seem to be handling this a lot different than other people. And Jason and I had already been talking about it because of uh, the Lord. I've talked with many people, Mrs. Honeycutt, this uh, last Friday, we were just talking about it. Last Friday was uh, four years since Dawn went home to be with the Lord. And I remember traveling through that with Mrs. Honeycutt and, and watching Dawn uh, those last few days. And you know what? God's grace was all on her. And we go around the room. I talk about Miss Anita. I talk about uh, Jim Kimball with his wife. We go around. We talk about Craig McLean and Miss Patty over here. Listen, people say, I can't imagine going through this without the Lord. When we surrender to his plan, God always shows up. He always does. Well, the children of Israel, they had not surrendered and they were doing their own thing. And the Bible helps us see all of this. But the great verse, Judges 2.16 it's a wonderful word that starts the verse off. Judges chapter two and verse 16, here's the word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, 
Man, what a, what a great word. Hey, children of Israel, remember that phrase, your relationship with me has been cyclical. You've been going round and around and around. Follow me, don't follow me, follow me, don't follow me, follow me, don't follow me. Sound like an auctioneer. You know, just who's gonna follow? Who's not gonna follow? That's what they were doing time and time and time again. And yet God never gave up on them because of his grace, because of his mercy, he pursued after them. And what God would do, the whole book of Judges, is that God would say, okay, you wanna walk away from me? I'm going to allow the Amorites to be that thorn in your side, but I won't give up on you. And the people of God, Judges chapter three tells us they were under the rule of some and the people of God got up, they gathered together, they submitted to God, they prayed and what God do? God raised up a judge. His name was Othniel. Remember we talked about Othniel? Really Othniel the courageous, Othniel the warrior. That's what we call Othniel the warrior. Why? Because he just goes in and he was the one uh, that he just got up and just took the land. And God told him, I'm gonna use you. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Othniel surrendered to God and God used him to help the people of God turn back to the Lord. Well, if you follow the story, last week we saw the people of God, they backslid again. They walked away from God again. And God put them under the control of the Moabites. And the king of the Moabites, fat man Eglon. That's what the Bible calls him. You say, pastor, that's me. That's what the Bible calls him. I love it. It was Eglon, a very fat king. That's what God tells us. And you know what happened? Ehud came on the scene. Remember Ehud? Ehud and his dagger. I have the dagger in my office if you want to see it. Leo, go get it. It's, it's on the, go get it. It's on the Broncos thing. Don't, yeah. It's in a good place, Gordon. It's right over there. Don't cut yourself, Leo. It's sharp. You remember last week, Ehud? Ehud had an 18-inch dagger. And what did he do? He was a willing servant that he took his 18-inch dagger. He went to the king. He said, hey, King Eglon. Remember, Eglon was oppressing God's people for 18 years. The people prayed. They asked God for deliverance. God rose up. Ehud. Ehud comes in, says, oh, king, I got a message for you. And the king kind of leans forward. Oh, what's your message? And Ehud takes out his 18-inch dagger off his left hand and takes it off of his right leg. And the Bible says he thrusts it in. And when he thrusts it in, it goes all the way in. It didn't just go in up to the handle. It just, his stomach just literally, I think it made that sound too. <laughs> Swallowed right up, got his, got his bowels. So the Bible says that the, the dagger went in and the dirt came out and it's not talking about dirt that's found on the ground, all right? His bowels came out. Man, what an awesome story. You say, well, what is the story of? It's a story of grace, uh, pastor. That doesn't sound a lot like grace. No, it was a story of grace. Why? Because God's people needed God to show up. God showed up when they asked. But here's what God used. He used a willing servant with a sword. And last week we saw that there's Eglons in your life. There's sin that tries to control your life and the flesh that tries to cause you and I to be a servant of sin. And yet you and I, we're given a sword. Oh, we're not given this. We're given this. This is our dagger. This is our sword given, given to us to defeat our Eglons. And so we looked last week and we saw, we saw Ehud and we saw Eglon. And this week, we're coming really to one of my favorite judges. You say, why? I'm not gonna tell you yet. You just have to see for yourself. So let's stand together and let's go to Judges chapter number three. 
And we're going to read verse number 31. Judges chapter 3 and verse number 31. Here's what the word of God says. It says, and after him, the him that we're talking about was Ehud right there. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. After Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath, and he slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. You know what an ox goad is? I'll show you. It's just a pointy stick with a paddle at the end. It has a point on one end and a short little two inch or three inch paddle on the other end or just a knob. And here's Shamgar used of God to kill 600 men with a pointy stick. I love it. It's going to be great. We'll see it together. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just ask God to speak to you this morning. You can pray something simple. God, please speak to my heart. God, please speak to my heart. And then commit, God, as you speak to me, whatever you speak to me about, I'm going to listen to you this morning. Dear Lord, I want to come before you and thank you for the word of God and how you use it in our lives. I want to pray, Father, that you would help us as we tune into it. I pray that you'd capture our mind and our heart this morning. God, I pray if there's someone here that does not know that if heaven is where they would spend eternity, they don't know that, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their personal Savior. I ask you, God, that as we go through the word, that you would use the word of God to challenge and strengthen each of us and, Lord, to change us. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start this morning, I want to ask you if you've ever known somebody uh, who just had really, really ridiculous excuses. You ever known somebody like that? Some of you might, you know, be bumping your spouse, hopefully not. But I know somebody who just has the ridiculous excuses. You all, you know, we all could probably think of someone that, you know, back in grade school or whatever, why didn't you do your homework? Well, the dog ate my homework. You know, okay, that's one of the oldest, lamest excuses. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who give lame excuses, ridiculous excuses. I looked up some of the most ridiculous excuses given for things, and I want to share a few with you. Um, I looked up one about excuses, or just saw this. Excuses for getting out of a date. Supposed to, supposed to go on a date. Excuse, lame, lame excuse number one. My dog's been suffering for, from depression, and I think we really need some time together. I can't come. Lame excuse number two. This is, Micah actually used this in college. He said, I have a friend who's going to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and I'm their phone a friend. And you know these shows, the phone could ring at any time, so I have to stay home tonight. It didn't work too well because they got married, but... I looked up some excuses for getting out of work. This one was actually used, and I don't know if it was true. If it was true, it's not lame, but if it's not, it's lame. A bear is in my yard, and so I can't come to work because I'm too afraid to go outside. Lame excuse number two, I can't come back today. I ate a toothpick in my food at a restaurant during my lunch break. I'm gonna have to go to ER. That could be true or not, but it's pretty lame. Excuses for getting out of homework. These are my favorite. I didn't do my homework because I figured I would do it tomorrow. Because tomorrow, I'll be a day older and a day wiser. 
Excuse number two, my brother's friend who came to our house yesterday, he said that he could actually eat paper. I didn't believe him, so he decided to show how much paper he could eat, and he grabbed my homework right out of my hands. And I didn't really see what he was eating until I realized it was my homework and it was too late. Lame. Lame excuse number three, and this one is my favorite. Yesterday, I didn't have time to complete my homework because I was at a rally all day. The rally was for the support of teacher pay raises. <laughs> so you have to understand, I had to be there. I was supporting you. I love that one. Listen, we've all known people, those are all silly, I understand that, but we've all known people give lame excuses, silly excuses for things. This morning, I'm gonna present to you a case that you and I, as believers, as followers of God, we often submit to God lame excuses. We give God ridiculous excuses about why we can't serve, why we don't give, why we won't witness to someone, why we can't be a right spouse. Why we give God some lame excuses. And so today we're gonna to be challenged with this title, this thought, no more excuses. Let's quit making excuses. Because we're gonna see someone this morning, Judges 3.31, Shamgar, who was a man of no excuses. I want you to notice a few thoughts with me. First of all, today, I want you to see a universal problem. A universal problem. As we come to Judges chapter number three and verse number 31, we find the children of Israel, they're under the rule of the Philistines again or under the rule of the Philistines. This actually be the very first time that we find the Philistines mentioned uh, in the book of Judges, other than uh, in chapter number one. So this is the very first time that they're actually in control. Well, here's what you read about. We read that Shamgar, he was the judge after Ehud. If you go to verse number 30, verse 30 tells us <coughs> that when Ehud was the judge, there was, there was rest in the land for 80 years. So Shamgar would be that little short period right after Ehud's death uh, before Deborah and Barak, whom we'll learn about next Sunday morning. But Shamgar, the Bible tells us that when he came on the scene, the people of Israel, they were oppressed by the Philistines. These Philistines, these would be a people that would be just to the west of, of the uh, um, uh, Jordan River and all of that right there, the Sea of Galilee, and the, this is the Dead Sea on the south side. And so this would be the Mediterranean. And so uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, this would all be Philistine territory. Now listen, remember when Joshua came into the land, God told Joshua, this is your land, drive the Philistines out. But they didn't obey all the way. They didn't drive them out. So now the Philistines are kind of that thorn, if you will, that I said earlier. Now, we don't know about what the Philistines were doing, but we just know that they were the enemies of God that were there. And because they didn't drive them out, they would have to deal with the Philistines, not just this time, but for centuries to come and still into this day. We know that when the Philistines were in control, people were fearful for their lives. We know specifically during the time of Shamgar that people were even afraid to travel because of the Philistines. You say, how do we know that? If you turned over two chapters to Judges 5, 
you would find Deborah singing a song about the Philistines and Shamgar. And this is in a song of praise to the Lord. But here's what she says. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. You say, pastor, what does that mean? Here's what she's saying. Hey, listen, during the time of Shamgar and during the time of Jael, the, Philist- the, the, the enemies were so in control that travelers wouldn't take the main highways. They wouldn't take the main thoroughfares. No, they would have to go through the byways. That would be, they would have to go out of the way. They would have to go up the hills. They would have to kind of scoot along the rivers. They didn't take the highways. They took the byways. And then it says that last part, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. Well, why did they cease? Villages were literally shutting down during the time of Shamgar. People were moving from villages to fortified cities. Okay, why would you do that? Why would you not travel on the main thoroughfares? Why would you close down your little village and move to a fortified city? Defense. Well, from who? Well, the Bible tells us who the enemies of Shamgar were at the time or the enemies of Israel at the time is the Philistines. Is the Philistines. Now, when you look at this, they needed deliverance and they couldn't achieve this on on their own. The, The children of Israel, they were facing this great and ongoing attack and because of the Philistines, people were forced into shelter. They couldn't uh, travel. They, they were uh, probably frustrated with this. I mean, you think about some of the circumstances that you would be living in or the results of living in this circumstance. They'd be living in fear. They would be uh, unsafe to travel. They'd be frustrated. Their lives were at stake. Their property and their families were in jeopardy. I mean, literally, the Philistines' rule was affecting their land, their crops, their trade, their growth, every single part of their life. And truth be told, it was affecting every single Israelite. And they all had this universal problem. It was the Philistines, or so they thought. You want to know what their universal problem was? Is this. They needed God to show up. You know what the, you know what the children of Israel needed every single time? Every single judge, you know what the children of Israel needed? They didn't just need the Amorites to go away or the Amalekites to go away or the Philistines to go away or the Moabites to go away. They didn't just need the ites to cease. What they needed, listen, they needed God to show up. That was the problem of every single person of Israel. They just needed God to do something. They needed God's power to be evident. Can I tell you the truth this morning that just as the children of Israel, they thought the Philistines were their problem, but you know what their problem was? They needed God. That's what the problem was. And here's the, here's the connection to us. You know what we often do? We think that politics is a problem. We think that our neighbor's the problem. We think that this marriage, that's the problem. We think these kids, they're the problem. We oftentimes, we begin to look at things in our life like that is the source of the problem. But here's the source of the problem. We need Jesus. Listen, I, I, it's, it's a very, I believe a very timely message. Thinking about yesterday, I was watching the, the uh, live feed yesterday of what was taking place in El Paso and anything uh, in shootings like that. I just, I, I wanna know what's going on. I wanna be able to pay attention and pray and get a hold of a pastor in the area. How can we help you? Things like that. And so yesterday I was, I was just uh, in the office studying in the morning and had the news just going a little bit and listening to El Paso. And, and you know what they start bringing up? They start bringing up gun control and they start bringing up politics 
and people start bringing up uh, the governor of Texas and the lieutenant governor, and they start bringing up representatives, Democrat or Republican. People just start bringing all this stuff up. You know what happens when we go through a situation, people say, oh, we need this. Oh, we need that. Oh, if we had better this, if we had better that. No, listen, my friend, you and I, we have the same universal problem the children of Israel had. Our country needs God. Your house needs God. Your marriage, it needs God. The way you raise your children, it needs God. Every single one of us, we have this deep, this deep rooted need for God in our life. We need the power of God to work. Your relationships with friends at work, you need God to give you the right testimony. Teenager at school this year, you are going to need God. It is not, well, that teacher or this homework problem. No, we need God. And that's, that's the root of the problem. We need God. Because what had Israel done? They had walked away. Time and time again, remember the cyclical relationship, they had just walked away from God. And here they're thinking, man, the Philistines are here. We need the Philistines to die. No, you need God in your life. Oh, they were the children of God. They were the people of God. And we too, you may know Christ as your savior. Say, well, I don't need God. I have him in my life. No, no, no. You need God to show up in your life. You need God's power to be effective and working in your life. You need the relationship of God to be real in your life. You need the presence of Jesus Christ. And I need his presence each and every day in our life. That is our universal problem. There's an an author that I enjoy reading after. His name is Pat Williams. He was the founder, co-founder of the Orlando Magic. And I came across a, a book that he wrote, an autobiography or a biography of a man uh, years ago, um, Coach John Wooden and, and Pat Williams wrote a book. But I found this quote, Pat Williams is a believer. Here's a quote Pat Williams said about the need of God for people. He said, even the most hopeful of people can be trampled down under the weight of worry and fear caused by the stress of life's multiplied problems. That's one of the many reasons why we need God. The communists used to say that only weak people need God. And in today's culture, that is what the pseudo-intellectual elitists also say. But the truth is, everybody is weak. Therefore, everybody needs God. Man, listen, it is a universal problem. We all need the power of God to be at work in our lives. We need it. Lord, I need you. I love the focus on, he didn't know I was preaching this today, but I love the focus on the need. God, I need you. We need him for salvation. Did you know you can't go to heaven without God? Well, my good works. No, you can't go to heaven without a relationship with God. You can't go to heaven unless there's been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. Well, I've been baptized. That can't get you to heaven. You need God. We need him for salvation. But then after you trust Christ as savior, you know what you need? You need God. I need God every day. I see a universal problem this morning, but I want you to notice secondly, an unlikely person. An unlikely person. Our universal problem is that we need God. Our unlikely person is this man, Shamgar. Here the children of Israel are. They're under oppression of the Philistines, and they're in this deep need of God to show up and do something, and we find that God does just that. He shows up, and he does something, and he does it through one man by the name of Shamgar. Shamgar. We don't have Shamgar anywhere else in Scripture 
except for Judges 3.31 and Judges 5, verses 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, whichever it was there. So we don't know much about Shamgar except for what he did, which we'll look at in a moment. However, we are given some things about Shamgar that we often overlook. And I overlooked them until studying for this message, found out some things that's super cool and interesting. It says that Shamgar, he was the son of Anath. Anath. <clears throat> While his father's name, Anath, may not mean much to us, it has some interesting connotations when you take it in the context of the time and of this account. I wanna tell you a couple things real quick. The children of Israel, when they came into the land of Israel, they didn't drive out the enemies, so they lived among the enemies. One of the enemies that they lived among, Judges chapter one tells us um, about five times, I believe it's verse 23 all the way through verse 31 or maybe verse 24 through 32. It tells us about the children of Israel living among the Canaanites, the tribe of Naphtali, Asher, I think Gad and Reuben. There was about four or five of the tribes that lived among the Canaanites. The Canaanites worshiped a goddess whose name was Anath, A-N-A-T-H. She is revered still to this day as one of the main goddesses of the people of Canaan, the Canaanites. She is the god of love, goddess of love and war. Well, here's what many scholars believe happened. And I believe it after looking at all the research. The Bible tells us that Shamgar was the son of Anath. Names meant something in scripture. You named your child, you named a child, not just a name, but a definition. You gave them this defined name that had meaning. Well, the meaning Anath is associated with the goddess of love and war in the, amongst, in the, in the midst of the Canaanites. So there's people, they say, oh, well then Shamgar must've been a Canaanite. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because God was using his people in all the book of Judges. It's the people of God. So here's what we can kind of lean on a little bit. Because they had lived among, because the nation of Israel had lived among the Canaanites, you know who they allowed to influence them? The Canaanites. So do you wanna know what probably happened? Because here's what the Bible tells us, and we'll see it again in chapter four, chapter seven, chapter nine, chapter 11, chapter 13, 15, and 16. We just see it in all of those, that the children of Israel, they begin to adopt the gods of the false, false gods that they're in among. And so here you have these Israelites living among the Canaanites, and you know who they begin to worship? Anath. They begin to worship Anath, the goddess of love and war of the Canaanites. And so one of the men says, oh, I'm gonna name my son. I'm gonna name him Anath after the goddess. And then Anath grows up and Anath names his son Shamgar. <clears throat> if you would look at Shamgar's life, many people believe that he probably is one who's summarized in Judges chapter two, verse number 12 and 14, where it says, there rose up a generation that knew not God. Shamgar probably grew up not really knowing a lot about God. And yet we find God still using him. Even though he didn't have a rich, if I can use it this way, he didn't have a rich Christian heritage. 
he was an unlikely person to be used. You know, there's some other things about Shamgar we know. He was carrying an ox goad. An ox goad is an instrument. I, I'll show you. It's later. An ox goad is an instrument they would use to prod ox and to help scrape the, the plow as well as their hooves. And you know what that tells us he was? A farmer. He wasn't a swordsman. He was a farmer. He was a peasant farmer because he only had an ox goad. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a shield. He wasn't trained for battle. So here you have, listen, stay with me. You have this person who grew up with a non-Christian heritage as a peasant, as a farmer, and the only instrument he has is an ox goad. One man said this about it. He said, in all likelihood, Shamgar's family, because they lived in and among Canaanites, had assimilated and capitulated to the paganism that was all around them. So Shamgar literally was just adapted into this situation. He had that ox goad that I was telling about. So really, if you look at it, Shamgar had a lot against him, didn't he? I mean, he had a bad heritage. He was a farmer. He was a peasant. And he was only carrying an ox goad. But you know what I like? I like that God still used him. I like that he surrendered to God and God still used him. He was an unlikely person. I mean, you wouldn't bet that Shamgar would be the one to be used. And yet he was. Can I just tell you this today? You may feel at times like an unlikely person. God... I know I need you to do something, but you'll probably do it in them. God, I know you want to work, but you'll probably work with them. Because God, I don't have a great Christian heritage. I mean, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. God, I can't sing. God, I can't teach. God, I can't preach. God, I can't. And we become excuse makers because we feel like we are an unlikely person. Listen, let me tell you this. God knows no unlikely people. There are no unlikely people in God's book. God's grace, one man said it this way, God's grace knows no prior qualifications. God doesn't say, well, I'll use you because you were born in a Christian home. Hey, I'll use you because you have it all together. Hey, I'll use you because you, God doesn't do that. God says, here's what I'm looking for. And we'll see it again in just a moment. I'm looking for someone who is willing to give me what they have and let me see what I, see what I can do. Shamgar, he was an unlikely person. He was one that you would not expect to be used. And what an encouragement it is to see that God's grace and God's power knows no boundaries. It knows no prior qualifications. He was a farmer, yet God used him. He was a peasant, yet God used him. He wasn't a Christian from a godly heritage, and yet God used him. He was simply a man that had surrendered to God. I see a universal problem. They needed God. I see an unlikely person that Shamgar, this man that you wouldn't expect to be used, but then I see thirdly today an unimaginable power. An unimaginable power. Well, what do you find, pastor? Well, here's this farming peasant with a pointy stick. He didn't have a dagger like Ehud. He didn't have the war tools of Othniel. Listen, he had a pointy stick with a paddle on the end, but he didn't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do something. He took his, he took his stick, his ox goad, 
He took his tool, and the Bible tells us he did something. He killed 600 Philistines with a pointy stick. He wasn't a warrior like David or like Jonathan. He wasn't one that had a, 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 some sort of great mighty weapon. He had a weak weapon. But what we need to understand this morning is that whatever the weapon is, when God anoints it, it is unimaginable what it can do. What does he do? Well, one man with one pointy stick, he kills 600 Philistines. He kills 600 Philistines. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like your normal day on the battlefield? I mean, would you expect that? Would you expect to read in the news, lowly farming peasant defends his land from an onslaught of Philistines and kills 600 with an ox goad. You don't expect to read that. We would never expect to hear that. But when we read the narrative in scripture, we read Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Why do we read it that way? Well, it's not because it was just Shamgar and his ox goad. It was Shamgar with his God and an ox goad. That's what it was. God was responsible for this. God was behind Shamgar and his ox goad. God was the one that stepped in. You see, Shamgar stepped out by faith and God stepped in and worked a miracle. And notice what the last part of the verse says, verse number 31. It says, and he also delivered Israel. He also delivered Israel. Wait, you mean the farmer? Yeah, you mean the peasant? Yeah, you mean the guy with an ox goat? He's in the account of heroes of Israel? Yeah, why? God. Yeah, God showed up. I mean, here you are, listen, the book of Judges, we read about Othniel the warrior and Ehud the courageous. We're gonna read about characters like Gideon and the most famous judge that people know, Samson and his strength and, and his might. We're gonna read about all of this and we read about all of their accomplishments and yet, listen, you know what? Every one of them, every one of them, you wanna know the short little testament? They delivered Israel. You know who also has that? Shamgar. And in the middle of this entire book, is one little verse about a simple farmer with a pointy stick, and he too delivered Israel. What a great thought. Shamgar must have known what God had said to Joshua, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised. You see, somewhere along the line, Shamgar raised in the home of Anath, raised in the home of perhaps one who either A, his parent or his grandparent was a worshiper of, of the goddess of Anath. We find that this man, he at some point surrenders to God and what does God do? God uses him to deliver Israel. Man, an unimaginable, unimaginable power. God truly showed up. I see this morning a universal problem. They needed God. An unlikely person, Shamgar, an unimaginable power, God showed up. But I want to close today by discovering what I've titled an undisputed principle. An undisputed principle. Listen, this is the very simple truth that I want us to walk away with today. 
Shamgar was not some great person, some special person. Shamgar did not have a lot. But here's what we read. We read that what he did have, he willingly surrendered to God and God showed up. Sam, Shamgar willingly surrendered to God. He gave God what he had and God showed up. Shamgar, or God used the life of Shamgar to show his power to generations. Listen, we are here literally thousands of years later and what are we reading about? Shamgar, this peasant, this farmer. Can I tell you this morning, we just said it a second ago, but the main thing this, world's need, this world needs is not political changes, though uh, we may think that. The main thing this world needs, uh, the main thing you need at your workplace is not a pay raise. You don't need, we don't need more handouts. Our, our country or our, our culture doesn't just need more medication. We don't need more groups or more agencies. We don't need uh, more counseling. We don't need more things. We don't need more hobbies and more money and more houses and more cars. No, what we need is we need Jesus. We need the power of God. I mean, this world, your neighbor, your family, your kids, your spouse, your enemies, your acquaintances, the strangers that you meet, they need Jesus. What do they need? They need God's changing power in their life. But here's what they are. Listen, here's what they're going to see it in. They're going to see it in someone who says, I am willing to be used. I am willing to be a shamgar. I may not have much. I may not be from a Christian background. I may not know a lot of people. I may not have my 15 minutes of fame. I may never be famous on the internet. I may never be a billboard. I may never be known on television, but God, I want to be a shamgar with a pointy stick that just clears off an area and says, I'm going to do something for God. That's what your family needs is for you to say, I'm going to be a dad that raises my children for God. Lady, that's what your family needs is a wife that says, who cares what everybody else is doing. I am not going to sell out. I'm going to be a shamgar with a pointy stick that says I'm going to clear out an area for God. You know what you need and what this, you know what our city needs is a church that says we're not going to be a church that just pacified with, well, we just had a few folks today. No, no, no. Listen, we're going to knock some doors. We're going to go out and hand out some tracks. We're going to do the end of the city outreach. We're going to get 20,000 hand invitation out and reach 30,000 people through social media. Let people know there is a church that says, hey, we are a sham we may not be much. We may not be a lot. We may not have a lot, but we have a great God and I want you to meet him. That's what our country needs. Listen, you look in this word of God and you see Shamgar. He is an unlikely person, but there was a universal problem and God showed up and showed an unimaginable power. So what's the undisputed principle? You give it to God and watch God work. That's a principle in scripture. You know, pastor, I, I just, I, I would serve, but I can't sing like Micah, man. You hear him? I can't sing like that. Hey, listen, you give God some worship in the pew and watch what God does. You don't have to come up and be a choir and sing a special. You worship God right where you're seated. Well, I, pastor, I could never, I could never get up and preach like Dan. Uh, listen, he, when he gets up, man, he just gets going and he's got that, I don't know what he's got, but he's just got it. I, pastor, I could never do that. Listen, you could lift up Jesus at the workplace. You could go across the street and knock on your neighbor's door and preach to them. Oh, you don't have to get up in their chair and yell at them. But you know what you could do? You just walk over and say, hey, I want to let you know I love you. There's a God in heaven that loves you. Do you know him? Oh, but pastor, 
Pastor, I don't have much. Pastor, I, I couldn't give to a missionary or a building fund. Pastor, I can't even start tithing. Hey, why don't you trust God? Hey, why don't you listen to Veronica's testimony? I think it was last year when she stood up and shared the testimony. I was scared. And, and uh, a preacher got up to preach. I think it was my dad. Got up and preached on, on tithing. And I said, all right, God, I don't have much, but I'll tithe with what I do have. And Veronica stood there in the almost same spot and in tears said, I can't even imagine. I, listen, her words, I could not even imagine what God was going to do. Well, why was that? Because there was a person who needed God and said, God, I don't have much. I don't have a lot to offer. But God, I give it to you. What God do? He showed up. He showed up. Listen, we need the power of God. And I want to tell you this today, and if you miss anything, every, if you miss everything, don't miss this statement. It's this. God is not looking for worthy or successful people to demonstrate his power through. He is looking for willing and surrendered people. God isn't looking for somebody that he says, well, you'll qualify. God's looking for somebody that says, I don't qualify, but I surrender. I just want us to understand today, one of the messages of Shamgar in the judges is that though every man does that which is right in his own eyes, God is still the God he always has been, and he's looking to use what you have to change the world. Can I tell you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you have, God has a place for you and your limitations are not a problem to him. And we may not have genius or brilliance or gifts of speech or a melodious voice, but if you are in the hand of Christ, he can take foolish things to confound the wise. It's all through scripture. That's why I call it an undisputed principle. God came to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to lead you. Moses said, what? Me? I'm unworthy. And God said, what is that in thy hand? Moses said, a rod. He said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, turned into a serpent. God said, pick it up again, picked it back up, turned into a rod again. And with that rod, he split the Red Sea. And here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter four and verse number 20. It is no longer called the rod of Moses. It is called the rod of God. Why? Because he gave him what was in his hand. He gave God what was in his hand. Listen, David, it was a sling. It was a sling. I don't have much, but I got a sling. I'll give it to God. God used it and slayed Goliath. For the widow woman in Elijah's day, it was just a little bit of meat, a meat, meal and a little bit of oil and it fed her family. For the little boy at the feeding of 5,000, it was just five loaves and two fish. Oh, they didn't have much, but listen, God can use anything. All we have to do is quit making excuses. Just surrender. An old preacher said this, and I'll be done. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Jesus said it this way. With men, this is impossible, but with God, 
All things are possible. Can I tell you today, you and I, we should have a desire to willingly surrender who we are and what we have to God and watch his power work in and through us. Hey, hey, listen. God's not looking for someone's qualified. He is looking for someone surrendered. So I want to ask you this week, this week, will you be a shamgar? God, I don't have much, but I got a pointy stick. And with your power, there's no telling. There's no telling who I could witness to this week. There's no telling who I could encourage this week. There's no telling the difference I could make if I simply willingly surrender to God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.